0: Well, let's pray, and then we'll get into it, I reckon. Uh, Father, I just want to give you thanks for this time that we have together today. I pray as we explore, not just this text in Acts 9, uh, but as we jump around the Bible quite a bit this morning, that you'll help us to understand what you're trying to teach us through Saul's conversion, uh, but also, Lord, that you will uh, yeah, give us a confidence and an assurance in the love that you have for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, I hope you're able to hear that story that Steph was talking about, because it is, uh, yeah, the, the, the passage in Acts 9 about Saul's conversion is quite, I, I think, brings up a lot of questions and possibly, uh, for some of us, a lot of fear. So uh, we're actually going to explore three points that were taken from this passage today in Acts 9. First one is God's revelation and calling. Second is salvation comes not by our own works. And then grace and mercy of Christ. Now, as we hear from the story, Saul's a Pharisee, and this guy is he's, he's terrifying to the early church. He absolutely despises Christians. He wants to kill anyone possible. And as we probably heard from a few weeks ago, uh, in Stephen's stoning, if you're familiar with that story, after Stephen's death, we're told of the people laying down their clothes in front of a young man named Saul. And Saul stood there in approval of the brutal way in which Stephen was murdered. So this is someone, this is a guy who's absolutely terrifying. Someone who strikes fear. The only person you can kind of really... Not to sound too out of whack, uh, during the war, he, his name would have carried the same weight to Christians as Hitler would have to Jews. Just the pure terror of seeing this guy is just something you cannot fathom. <clears throat> so, uh, as we hear about Saul, we actually hear him talk about himself. It's actually helpful that Paul talks about his previous life in quite a number of his texts. And if you look with me to Philippians 3, 5 and 6, we actually hear about the sheer prestige of his life uh, and why he was so highly uh, admired by the chief priests. So, Saul was circumcised on the eighth day, which is a Jewish custom, of the people of Israel. He is of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he is a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, And as to righteousness under the law, he's blameless. This is an upright man, an upright man among men. He is so confident, as we will hear, in his following uh, of what he believes to be the true faith, that he begins seeking out Christians to put them in chains and bring them back to Jerusalem before the chief priests. We see his confidence, however, in his own strength, completely undone when he comes face to face with the Lord. And he says probably one of the most terrifying questions that any of us could ever be confronted with. Who are you, Lord? It would be a pretty scary idea believing that you're saved, so confident in your salvation, and then suddenly realizing you've been going the wrong direction completely. Everything Saul had ever worked for in his life was completely wrong. Everything <laughs> it actually reminds me uh, of verse in Matthew 7:22, which I think we're all familiar with, because for me, this is, a one, this is one that strikes terror in my heart. Where Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus, I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. As we read about Saul's life, it's incredibly confronting because on paper we see a man who is incredible. Serves the law, he's blameless under it. A Pharisee. And yet we hear right there what Jesus says to people like that on the final day. Get out of my sight. I think probably among the most challenging points in my life is when I allow doubt to creep in. What if everything I believe is wrong? It's a pretty terrifying thought. Uh, I know that many of us sitting in this room uh, have been confronted with the same thoughts. That what if my whole life has been wasted, or worse, what if there's no point to anything? What if the God I believe in isn't the God, and that this is the true God, this God that we serve, how can I know him? How am I supposed to know him? But today, as I said at the start, we'll be jumping around in the writings uh, of Paul quite a bit, actually. I think it's probably the best place to be going. We hear about Saul and his murderous threats. I think it's only fitting that we explore the man named Paul now, seeing the grace and mercy of God transforming his heart. So, as mentioned earlier, Saul was incredibly convinced in his wrong beliefs. And yet we see in this that God came to him... Uh, As we see in verse 1 of Acts 9, God came to him while he was still breathing out murderous threats against God's people. (laughs) He was actually on his way to Damascus, very close to completing his campaign that he was set out by the chief priests to do. So God's choosing and calling on him. uh, uh, Sorry. Paul writes in Galatians 1.15, how this calling actually affected his life. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's belief now is that it was God's purpose, God's predetermined purpose that Paul would come to him. Before he was born. Although we see a young man who breathes out murderous threats. Causes great anguish and persecution amongst the Christian church. God chose him. And then revealed his son to him. It wasn't Saul's perfect actions. It wasn't his perfect theology. It wasn't his charisma. Even his works that saved him, as we'll later read about what Paul wrote. Instead, we know that God has made himself known. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God doesn't stand distant to us and say, if you keep seeking, or if you look hard enough, you'll be able to pull me close you'll be able to find me. If you just work a bit more, you'll get to meet me. Your good works will make you reach my throne. Rather, it is God who chooses to reveal himself to us and call us to himself. As we said at the start, Saul was a man of great prestige in the church. By the world's standards, an upright person who deserve to stand before the throne of God. By God's standards, a rotten sinner. (laughs) No amount of hard work will be able to bring you to the throne of God. God is actually, and it's the cool thing here as we read about Paul's writings, God is pleased to reveal his son to us so that we can know him. It's important to always remember God is our father and he delights to be with us. But we see, after this great revelation, as we jump forward a bit into Saul's life, he says he actually didn't immediately consult anyone with this revelation from God. After his eyes were healed, he actually went off for three years, learning from God, talking and praying. And then he comes back to meet with Peter to ask, am I running my race in vain? But in God's grace, Peter reveals to him, not only do we believe in the same God, but you and I are preaching the exact same gospel. It's extremely important. Saul isn't just making up this story of some imaginary God that blinded him on the road to Damascus. It's the very same Jesus that the disciples knew, the disciples walked with, it is the very same Jesus that Saul met that day. This verse also makes the point that Jesus, or God, is the only God. There is no other God. The only way that we can truly know God, the one true God, is if he calls us and reveals himself to us. Now, we're going to flesh out a bit the work side of that because I don't know about you, but I want to, I really want to work to hear God's voice. I want God to reveal himself to me in wondrous ways and I want to be able to, you know, bust my hide so that God can see me as good enough. But as we look to Saul's. Life. that's not the way it works we see the mercy and grace that God shows and I don't know about you like I just said I think in my head automatically what do I have to do to make sure that I can make it up to God for this great mercy that I've been shown and I think I'm probably the worst of sinners in this room (laughs) and I've done plenty of things to people where I feel like I've deserved uh, really the wrath of many people in my life. I've deserved punishment or anger instead from people, especially Steph at times. (laughs) I've not been met with wrath, but I've been met with grace. I've been met with mercy, but it's not through anything that I did to deserve it. All I am is a rotten sinner. All we are, all of us, are rotten sinners, and yet God, in his perfect timing, has forgiven us. What we learn from the Bible, unlike the world that we live in, it's interesting that mercy is never earned. If you read about God from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the mercy in which is shown to the Israelites and to us today, we don't earn it. As much as I'd like to convince myself that I earn it and that I'm good enough before the throne of God, we don't. I think even those of us that have believed in him already still fall back into this trying to believe that we can earn it. But Paul in his following writings makes it abundantly clear we are not saved through things we can do, we are saved through Christ's work. Now we couldn't earn this mercy before we were saved and after we believe and trust in Christ we can't earn it by our own works now. I think it's easy for us as Christians, once we know we're saved, you start reading the Bible, And as we've heard time and time again, it continues in this horrific cycle where our sin blinds us to God's grace and says, you know what? I know that Christ died, but there's just something more you need to do. Surely that's not good enough for your life. Look at all the disgusting things you've done with yourself. Look at all the evil things you've done with your life. Surely God can't forgive you that easily. Or maybe we feel even pressured to do something a certain way. Maybe we should pray a certain way. We should read our Bible a certain way, say certain things about Jesus at particular times, have our evangelistic message exactly right so that our words can be perfect and we don't even need the help of the Holy Spirit. If my message is just perfect today, I don't need God to change your heart. You understand? You see how twisted it gets and how quickly it changes. If we don't rely on God and we start to rely on ourselves, our message goes a long, long way from the grace and mercy in which God has presented to us. It's incredible to know that we can live in the joy of knowing him and live according to his ways because he has called us not into a life of trying to earn our way to him. But he's called us into life with him. It's quite incredible when you think about trying to spend time with, uh, with friends or even with your family. They go, we just want to spend time with you. We just want to spend time with you. And that's what God is saying. And yet we're constantly fighting back and going, but surely that's not all you want. You don't just want to spend time with me. We're second guessing everything God says to us. That's not all you want, God. No. Believe in my son and come to me. Trust in the salvation that I've brought to you through the cross. No, surely not. That can't be all you want, God. There's something more. But Paul writes in such a magnificent way in Romans 5.8. That reveals to us there's nothing more. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we worked really hard to convince God that we deserve to keep being saved. It's a good joke. That is a joke, I'm sorry. That's, anyway, tough crowd, that's alright. <laughs> but Ephesians 2, 8-10 reinforces this point. Again, Paul writes. And we need to understand, Paul is speaking from God. Every time you open your Bible, it is the Word of God, no matter who is writing This is God's ordained text for us to receive. This is the breath of God that is being put into us. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to sort of take courage in that. This is more a message for me, maybe, than for you. I'm just being selfish today. But it's not a result of our works. That's an incredible encouragement. The fact that no one can boast before God. And if you hear someone boast, you can go, Oh, well, I'll pray for you. <laughs> before God, no one can boast. Isaiah 64, 6, our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, like filthy rags before God. It's a gift from God. Even our faith, our faith which so many Christians try and claim as their own. No, my faith is mine. I chose to believe in God. This is me. But it's not our own doing. It's a gift from God and every good work that we do from this point onwards, if we are in Christ, our good works have been prepared by God in advance. Now it's really tough because that unearths a lot of, well, predestination, free will, but we can talk about that a bit more after. (laughs) That's very complicated. That's a whole sermon in itself. But we cannot even do good works on our own after we are saved. I'm not trying to bash you here. That's awesome. (laughs) The fact that we are called to trust in Jesus and God himself says through Paul, believe in me and I will do my good works through you. When you are sheltered in Christ. We need to keep calling back to Saul's life here because Saul's life was one of law abiding in his own strength. Someone who believed he was perfectly in line with God, spotless in the law. But it was only through God's calling and revelation that Saul came to know the one and only God, Jesus Christ himself. It is not through our own works, and I'm gonna keep, we're gonna keep circling this message. It is not through our own works, but His work on the cross. That we can have a relationship with God, the Father, (laughs) and it's through His mercy and His loving kindness that He chose to send His one and only Son to be a lamb in our place. We look in Ephesians again, just before the passage, Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. This is awesome. Paul's writings are incredibly repetitive. And some people get frustrated at that. I'm, I'm amazed by it. Because you go, this is a man that has met Christ. And for three years, before he even went to the elders of the church, wrestled with it. He spent his whole life serving the law. And he goes, but it can't just be by grace. What is going on? And wrestled with God and then came to Peter and said, is this the true God? This is the gospel. God, being rich in mercy, sent his one and only son, by grace, you have been saved." If we look at the life that Saul led, it seems like on paper, he is the absolute epitome of the righteous man, the perfect person that we could ever hope to be in serving God. And yet, his heart was corrupted by sin. And just like us, he required a mighty work of mercy and grace. We see again as who writes? Paul writes in Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, I don't want to stand up here before you today and try and convince you that good works are bad. Or that abiding in the law is bad. What I am coming before you today to say, and for myself especially, Christ fulfilled the law on our behalf. We read in James that faith without works is dead the same way that works without faith is dead. And who do we receive our faith from? We receive our faith from God through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. So is it bad to do good works? By no means. If your heart is sheltered in Christ, good works will naturally outflow from that. And that's encouraging. But any time we try and take the reins ourselves, our ways are only known by sin. For Paul to come to this understanding shines a light on the shortcomings of his past ways. And that service to the law and our own strength brings death and destruction. And yet through the power of the Holy Spirit and our life being united as one with Christ. are able to fulfill the law because Christ in his mercy not only fulfilled the law on our behalf but chose to die in our place that the righteous wrath of God would be satisfied. Now my absolute all-time favorite worship song before the throne of God above has a magnificent second verse that just about brings me to tears every time I hear it. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, up I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free because God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. This God we serve has called us to that. We see evidence of that in Saul's life as we see his conversion. A man who could have held on to the law with all his might says himself, all of my righteous deeds are rubbish before the Lord and it is Christ alone that matters. I ask the question again, how can we know that the God we believe in is true God? How can we have confidence in that? The same way that Paul has had confidence. The writer in Hebrews says in chapters 1, 1 to 2, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. We need to take confidence that God is at work in his son. That the Jesus Christ, every time we open our Bibles, the Jesus Christ that is revealed to us, that is the one and only God, the one and only person in whom we need to put our trust. The only way that we will ever trust and believe That the God we serve is the one true God. As if we look to the Son. In whom everything is held together. And if by His grace, He gives us new life through the power of His Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you're trying to hold on to God with all your might and you don't believe that God is hanging on to you, take courage in that, that God has done the work and he's there. His son has already been sent to die and there's nothing more that needs to be done for your salvation. You have been saved through Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to give you thanks this time together this morning. We pray, Lord, that as we hear about the conversion of Saul and many others like him in the Bible where their faith was in themselves and yet they turn to you. I pray Lord we can take courage in that knowing that we don't need to trust in our own strength. But Lord your son has accomplished everything on the cross. I pray that you will continue to remind us every day that if we look to you We can be encouraged by the grace and mercy that you've shown to us. We can be encouraged by the mighty work in which Jesus has done in order to bring us salvation and restore us back to you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.